White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Red Echo, Grand Slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can follow me on Twitter, Ecknerwall23, E-C-N-E-R-W-A-L. That's Lawrence spelled backwards. 2-3 is for Robin Ventura. That is Chris Tannehill, at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. And our show is Locked On Socks on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. Go there and subscribe. Maybe you can be a recipient of a Locked On Socks prize pack, a nice shirt, maybe a mug. Um, yeah, it'll be good stuff for yourself. 312-566-8727 is the way you can leave a Locked On Socks voicemail. And if you want to go old school, email, snail mail. You can't send a snail mail, but just email. It is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. But here is Chris Tannehill. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Oh, doing great, Herb. It's Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and we're going to talk with Ryland Styles of Locked On Royals, a very informative conversation, taking you behind the curtain of what's going on there in Kansas City. We even had a little uh, Danny Parkins love, which I did not enjoy here. That, that's coming up here in a bit. Uh, but yeah, it was an interesting conversation here with Ryland to talk about a team that John Morosi came on our airwaves yesterday on the score and said they could be a surprise team, the Royals. So we'll, we'll, we'll ask Ryland about the Royals team and sort of their philosophy over the years and re-upping with Salvi Perez and, and everything uh, that goes along with that. So very informative conversation, and here it is, our conversation with Locked on Royals host Rylan Stiles. Rylan, the first thing I want to ask you is, as a White Sox fan, I know you guys won the World Series not too long ago. The thing I worry about is you know changing ownership. The glass uh, ownership is done, and now you're bringing in Sherman is here. It seems to me the Royals have downshifted in, in both competitiveness and going after the AL Central. It seems like they're comfortable where they're at, at the bottom of the AL Central. How do Royals fans feel the team is progressing right now? Because I don't know. If I was a Royals fan right now, I would be, you know, having that taste of the World Series wouldn't quench, um, wouldn't be quenched because – after you have a taste, you need another one. And so being a also ran or a bottom dweller right now would be very infuriating. But how do you as a Royals fan feel they're doing right now? Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, uh, John Sherman didn't take over this franchise until uh, 2019. So, that, so his real first true offseason was this season. And he's carried a ton of favor with Royals fans already in his short time here, going back to last year, whenever he's the only owner to pay minor leaguers the entire time and never waver on that. And then in this off season, he's stolen the headlines in Kansas city by signing guys like Michael A. Taylor and signing guys like Carlos Santana trading for Andrew Benatendi. Whereas in the national scape of baseball, this is where I struggle with as somebody who's just kind of a baseball nerd. These moves are not something that should move the needle, but for a franchise like Kansas city and a, and a fan base, like Kansas City, who is 
not used to this team wanting to win every single year and not used to this team trying in years in which it's not apparent they're going to win, it, it is going to move the needle and it is going to get fans excited to where if this was the White Sox making a move to sign Carlos Santana and Mike Minor, and those were your two big moves, I'm not really sure that you guys would even care about that. But in Kansas City, this team was not supposed to win. If you went back to November, everyone thought this was going to be a hundred loss team again in Kansas City this year. But instead, this organization goes ahead and signs Carlos Santana and, and Mike Minor and Michael A. Taylor, and they trade for Ben Attendee, and they make these peripheral moves to where, okay, we at least want to be a competitive team. Sure, they're not going to win the division this year, and sure, they're not going to make the playoffs this year without the expanded postseason, which is not going to be added, but they're at least going to be a fun team to watch. There's just more we can say for the entire last five years, and they've been pinpointing and targeting 2022 as their date to be that perennial playoff team to where they're hoping that they can make moves and show improvement this year to where you guys and national media folks are picking them to win the division and picking them to win in the postseason. They're hoping that these young arms can come up at that time and that they can make more of those minor signings to where they are a legitimate threat next season. So they're trying to get there and Sherman has done everything right in his tenure in Kansas city. It's just not quite their time yet. I think that they're going to be a competitive team I think they're going to finish third in this division, that they're that much improved and they have that kind of ability coming up through the ranks. And I'm someone who's been heavily accused of being a pessimist and being way too negative on this team. So for me to say that, it, it kind of just shows what Sherman's done in his time here. I think that there is that reputation, though, of Kansas City from back in the in the Glass family where they've been good twice in my lifetime. I'm 23 years old. They've been good twice in my entire lifetime. They were okay in 2016, okay in 2017 but actually a legitimately good baseball team. It's been two times in my entire life. So that that taste in everyone's mouth is still there. I understand that, but the Shermans are doing things the right way. Does this mean what the fan base thinks? Where the fan base thinks that since you signed Carlos Santana, when this team's truly ready to win, you're going to go sign a big, a big free agent or at least retain a guy like Bobby Witt Jr., who's a young prospect in the system, the number three prospect in baseball, whatever it is, a seven prospect in baseball, and he's going to command a $300 million contract. Will the Kansas City Royals ever deal out that contract? Probably not, but at least it gets some interest in this team, which is what this team has needed for so long. So, you know, building on what you talked about, that that offseason where I do commend the Royals for making moves and improving around the margins when other teams were, were crying poor and finding any reason to, to not make their teams better. So, like, how does this fit in, this offseason they had, with, with, the big, with the big picture goals for the Royals? Like you mentioned, there are guys – that are, that are ready to take that next step, maybe not this year, maybe late this year, maybe 2022 you're talking about with Bobby Witt, and we'll get to him in a second because I've liked everything I've seen from him. But what is sort of the, the big-picture goal for, for the franchise here? Because you still have some of the older Royals mentality where you, where you cling to guys a little bit and you don't trade guys when – their value is is the most high, and then you 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 have the young talent that's coming up along with them. So these these stop gaps like Carlos Santana, like are, are these guys just are supposed to be placeholders until there are guys that can you know fit those positions over the long term? Like what what is the the overall philosophy, or is this just a situation where the the ownership felt like you know what this fan base deserves at least a more competitive and and better product to watch coming off of of the pandemic 2020 where there was no fans allowed. Like, is this just simply an issue where, okay, we're going to give you guys something better to watch and, and, and give you a little bit more for your dollar in 2021 than uh, we probably should have. 
I think it's interesting because it can be either one that you want it to be. And whatever the players dictate it to be, will, will that be the case? Because they've set themselves up with the contract links and the, and the players they've signed to where Michael A. Taylor is not going to block a center fielder from coming up like an Edward Livieras. If, if Edward goes down to the minor leagues and is playing really well, you're not holding him back for Michael A. Taylor. Hmm. If Carlos Santana does not bounce back in his two years in Kansas City, it's not a big deal. You've paid him what's equivalent to 20 bucks at, at, at McDonald's uh, for playing first base for the Royals. In the meantime, though, those two moves have given the fan base life, and, and this fan base is engaged and is interested because, as you mentioned, while these are upgrades on the peripheries and, and these are upgrades in the margins, if Kansas City in November looked at this team on paper and said, you know what, it's a pandemic and we're not very good and we've lost 100 games for so long and we still don't have our young pitchers up yet and maybe by what Jr. is a couple months away and they decided let's not sign Carlos Santana, let's not sign Michael A. Taylor, let's not sign Mike Miner. Nobody would be up in arms and dragging this ownership across the coals, but yet the ownership still did that to try to give this fan base the most competitive product within their means. And so if Mike Miner's good, then that's great. But you know what? He's also going to be really good in the bullpen to where when, if you do call up Daniel Lynch or you do call up Asa Lacey, you can easily move Mike, uh, Mike Miner's contract and Mike Miner as a player to the bullpen and put one of those two studs in the rotation. And if Carlos Santana is really good, that's great. He's not going to eat a lot of money and it'll be first base and it'll be nice and easy. And then whenever Santana's done in two years, you can slide Salvador Perez to first base on this new contract or you can call up Nick Prado, or you can do a lot of different things at first base. None of these moves have long-lasting impacts on this organization unless they pan out to be really good moves. Like if Michael A. Taylor is terrible this year and is the worst hitter in baseball the way he typically has been in his career, no harm, no foul. You, you tried it, put Gerard Dyson back in there, or call up Edward Livieris and move on about your day. If Santana doesn't bounce back, so what? You can get out of the deal in a year. doesn't really matter. Mike Miner at least will be, I think, in a, a good enough bullpen arm, a quality bullpen arm for if he can't be a starter anymore. And then you supplement him with a with a good young pitcher coming up. So all these moves, while they energize the fan base, they mean nothing for the future of this team. The only one that really matters is Andrew Benatendi, who you traded a top 10 prospect in your organization for, and Khalil Lee, who many people had doubts about anyway. So if Andrew Benatendi can try to rekindle that rookie of the year form, then it's no harm, no foul there either. So like all you really did was make a lineup to where you go down this projected lineup. If you go to fan graphs and look at the roster resources page, you go down this lineup on, on this road on this lineup of this uh, team and you're going to get quality bats and you're going to have a quality at bat in almost every single position, which does help your development. And, and it does help Whit Merrifield or it helps Andrew Benatendi or Hunter Dozier or Kyle Isbell all get better at bats if they're surrounded by at least competent baseball players, which is not the way this team has operated in the past. And you mentioned what I've been most critical about is the emotional side of baseball for the Royals. The Royals to win, they have to operate more cutthroat. In this market size, in this economy of baseball, you have to treat this more like the Rays do than the Royals do. And they made their first interesting move in that regard. The old Royals regime would have kept Nicky Lopez at the big league level this year even though he's hitting 100 at spring training and can't hit in surprise Arizona, where you and I can go hit 20 home runs in surprise Arizona. They sent him down and said, no, we, we sharpied you into the lineup and you did not take the job. You're not good enough. You're going to get sent down. And instead they'll call up Kyle Isbell, who's never played in the big leagues before. And we'll forget the service time and just move on about their life and, and, and have what Merrifield come back down after the, after building his arm up all off season, by the way, telling him to get stronger and play right field. They're now saying, I oh, know what scratch that. 
Nicky Lopez is terrible. Send them down. You're going to come back down to second base. They did the cutthroat thing for once this year. Now, it won't pay off for a playoff spot this year, but once again, it gives you hope that in the future, when this team is supposed to be good, if Brad Keller's not getting the job done or Danny Duffy is not getting the job done, they're out of here and you call somebody else up and you get somebody else in who will do the job. We're going to take a quick time out here. And on the other side, we're going to talk about some of these old familiar faces the Royals have latched onto over the past few years. You know them as White Sox fans, the Whitmer Fields of the world, Salvi Perez. These guys are mainstays in Kansas City. We'll find out what Ryland thinks about them still being a part of the mix here. That's coming up next on Locked on White Sox. This episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. We've been telling you guys for a while now about Built Bar. They've been down with the show pretty much ever since the beginning. And they are the best tasting protein bar on the market. And they've been so for a long time now. And it's amazing that these things are so delicious because they are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. They shouldn't be tasty, but they are. They found a way to make it delicious. And you know why? It's because they're covered in 100% chocolate. And now's the time to find out which Built Bar is the best and most tasty flavor. Just go to Built Bar on Twitter, at bar underscore built, because it's Built Bar madness. You can vote for yourself. You're sick of me hearing about coconut and my new favorite flavor, German chocolate cake, which I'll get to in a second. But now you can go and you can decide which Built Bar is the best flavor. And that German chocolate cake, by the way, German chocolate cake was one of my favorite things to eat in my less healthier days. But now Built Bar has managed to get the flavor of a German chocolate piece of cake in one of their built bars. And best of all, 17 grams of protein and only 5 grams of sugar in this one. 180 calories. It serves as a great after-dinner treat. It keeps me filled up. Or even an afternoon snack, I keep them in my desk at work. They are delicious. So go to BuiltBar.com now and get 15% off your next order. Do not forget that promo code, folks. So many people have reached out. Even my mom called me the other day asking for the promo code. I said, Locked 15, don't you listen? Good God, Mom. But they're going to order some Built Bars for themselves, and I could not be happier about it. And thank you guys for all your interactions on Twitter telling us what your favorite flavors are. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. Go to Built Bar on Twitter at bar underscore built and you can vote to see who will become the best tasting protein bar. We're covering everything you need to know about the White Sox, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Follow Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And speaking of Whit Merrifield, one of the things I think Dayton Moore made a mistake with is not dealing him after his 2018 season. I mean, at that time, 28 years, 29 years old at that time, and having his best year. And he's not a bum. He's not. He's pretty good. He's still solid. And every time the White Sox play him, we fear him. What do Royals fans feel about Whit Merrifield? He's, I think he's coming into his age 32 season, so he's not a young guy. I know Cubs wanted him for years and years when they were in their contending uh, uh, slot. But I thought Dayton just, I don't know, he's got a lot of service time left, Whit Merrifield, inexpensive. I thought they could have got a nice uh, haul back for Whit Merrifield, a 29-year-old guy having his career year at that time. What do Royals fans feel about Whit Merrifield as far as being a future guy or what happened back in uh, 2018, 2019, where he just stays uh, being a Royal? It, it feels like he's still a prospect because he's still so you know 
young in, in the relative terms of baseball and major league baseball to where this is a guy that kept getting passed over the minor leagues for the likes of Christian Cologne and like, and guys <laughs> like that to where you kept, you missed the window whenever you still had Hosmer and still had Moose. And instead of picking what Mayfield, you picked Christian Cologne and Omar Infante and Chris Owings. I mean, you missed the window with this guy to where you just got called up and you still kind of group them into the Hunter Dozier's and the Mondesis because that's kind of the group he came up with a little bit, but he is getting pretty old in the traditional sense, but I think that his game will age gracefully, just like Ben Zobrist did, who I think that you can pretty much compare what Merrifield to is Ben Zobrist. And if you go back and look at holding on to him, I was somebody who thought that they should have traded Eric Hosmer and should have traded Lorenzo Cain, even in 2016, even after the World Series, because again, you have to be cutthroat in Kansas City to win baseball games. You cannot be this good organization because what's that going to get you? It's not going to get you the big time Mike Trout free agent. It's not going to get you the Bryce Harper free agent, no matter how good of a person you are, Dayton Moore, or how good of a person this franchise feels like. It's not going to get you those kind of guys. So what are you doing it for at that point? I mean, what's the end goal here? And so keeping with Merrifield, I would have traded him, but but since you didn't, if you believe in that 2022 window, if you believe whenever Dayton Moore has sold you for five years that this team will be good in 2022 and the young arms will be ready in 2022 and you're going to have what it takes to win in 2022, if you believe all of that, that's a hell of a contract to have and a very versatile player to have. And if it doesn't work out, I still think that again, he'll age gracefully and he'll get you that Ben Zobrist type return, which the Royals got and, and it helped them win the World Series. And without Ben Zobrist, you don't win that World Series in 2015 to where you can still get a nice package later. And how much different will that package be than the one that the Royals trade away from Ben Zobrist? I, I'm not sure how, how different it'll be. So I think at the end of the day, it, it was the right move, uh, but I could see either side of it. You mentioned the emotional side of the game and maybe Salvi Perez is a guy that will mean infinitely more to the Royals than he would anywhere else. But what did you make of that big time extension that Salvador Perez got this offseason? And, and, you know, Herb and I were looking at it before the show. Still a guy who's not as old as, as you may think he is. What was 30, Herb? Is that is that mm-hmm. what we're looking at? So what did you make of that move when they made it? Is this a, uh, just a move where it's like this guy is so valuable to our pitching staff and you know instills the the winning attitude from the 2015 team and things like that. Like, what did you make of them offering that that big time contract extension to him? Uh, did you like that, or was that more of the old Royals mentality where they have an emotional attachment to certain guys? Yeah, you know it's interesting. I think that you're right that he kind of is worth more to Kansas City than he is anywhere else. For and you guys remember this very well, the Alex Gordon contract, to where mm-hmm. there's all of a sudden this fake rumor of oh Alex Gordon's gonna sign with the White Sox. You can't let him sign with the White Sox. It's a division rival. And I I don't know about you guys, but I firmly have always believed that that was a load of crap. And he was never gonna get a contract from the White Sox. He was never gonna get paid more by the White Sox than what the Royals offered him. And in fact, I don't believe the White Sox were even close on offer because why would they pay Alex Gordon that amount of money? Alex Gordon played Kansas City and he got the money he deserved. It's all about the business. And it's all about the negotiation. He he used the emotion of this fan base will riot if Alex Gordon, the homegrown guy, after going to the World Series, goes to the White Sox of all teams. They're, they're going to riot. You just got done fighting the White Sox 20 times a year where Lorenzo Cain is going fisticuffs with Jess Marja. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> that's that's crazy talk. So they, they played the Royals in that instant to where Salvador Perez, if he hits the open market today, while he is still one of the better catchers in baseball, even though the, the catcher position is pretty weak, he wouldn't get that amount of money on the open market. But on the flip side of that, there is something to be said for keeping one of those championship guys as a Royal for life. And, and at this point, the word association of Kansas City Royals baseball goes to Salvador Perez. And at this point, what's that going to do for your future? While it's the biggest contract in club history, 
I do not believe it hinders you from signing a future free agent because you're not going to be in the big time free agent market anyway. And I don't believe it'll keep you from signing one of your young guys. I think that the, what will keep you from signing Brady Singer long-term will keep you from signing Bobby Witt Jr. long-term is that those guys are going to be really good and that those guys will command 200, 300, $400 million because they're going to be so good. That's what keeps you from signing them, not signing Salvador Perez. And I think that he's going to age more gracefully behind the plate than people think. And if he doesn't, again, Carlos Santana is not a, not a long-term fit. He's going to leave eventually. First base is wide open. So uh, Jorge Soler isn't a long-term piece of this franchise. DH will be open eventually. So it's not really any harm and, and no foul. And you still have that sort of presence on this team. And 13 will be retired one day and it'll all be a feel-good story. And he'll be the Yadier Merlina of the other side of Missouri. And it'll be perfectly fine. Speaking of the White Sox-Royals rivalry and fights, Brad Keller is the leader of your starting rotation. What the, it's actually a rotation that is underrated. I think maybe probably the strength of your team with Brad Keller. Danny Duffy gives everybody fits. Mike Miner, you said, is a sign and young player in Brady Singer. And I think when we saw Chris Bubich last year make his major league debut versus the White Sox, I think he faced his uh, uh, teammate in Nick Madrigal in that game. So what is the feeling about the Royals starting five for their pitchers? I think it's interesting. I think that in Kansas City, that, that's kind of one of the worry spots of, of this team because I, I think that people put a lot of stock and faith into the bounce back of the lineup, which could be really good if, if everyone bounces back in that lineup and it could be really bad. The rotation, it's up to two young guys and Singer and Bubich. And I think that Singer can be this Cy Young type of arm eventually, but will that happen this year? Will he be that Cy Young caliber arm this year? He could, but how realistic is that to expect in his first full season, his first time pitching in front of major league fans and, and going on a true road schedule you're not just going to chicago anymore you're going to seattle you're going to all these other places to where that does wear and tear on you more so than a trip up to chicago or a trip to cleveland i think that it all hinges on danny duffy and mike minor because danny duffy can be on and he can give you six seven strong and 13 strikeouts in tampa he can also be a complete and utter disaster on the mound and a train wreck on the mound mike minor if he can give you a solid Three ERA, I mean, that's really good. And then Brad Keller, who's a Rule 5 type guy, is your most solid piece. And whenever you have a Rule 5 Brad Keller as your ace and as your most trustworthy arm, there's going to be room for skepticism. But you can flip that and say, well, if Mike Miner is serviceable, if Singer and Bubich bounce out in their second breakout in their second time uh, through the big leagues, and then if Danny Duffy is just anything that's besides a train wreck, you should have the run ability, you know, the lineup capability of having a run support to where you can win a lot of games. And if Duffy's bad, like Mike Miner, if Duffy's bad in this contract year, kick him to the bullpen, which is the only role in his career he's ever thrived in. Kick him to that bullpen, and then you call up a young arm and you make a push if you're in that kind of realm in the later stages of this year. This rotation, like the lineup, can be very volatile. And it's just, do you want to look at this hat glass half full or glass half empty? And that's kind of the strange part of Kansas City right now because you can sell me if this team will win 75 games or that this team will win 85 games, just depending on who you think will bounce back and who you think won't bounce back. We'll put a bow on this thing and tell you what's coming up the rest of the week here. Opening day's coming here on Locked on White Sox. Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. They are the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's done. NBA's heating up. 
college hoops winding down as well. NHL is in full swing, but we're talking about baseball futures and prop bets, over-unders, all that good stuff in today's show. Just go to betonline.ag and place your bets. Maybe you disagree with what Herb and I are saying. Go in there, put your money where your mouth is, and place your money at betonline.ag. They cover everything, including award shows, TV shows, and even reality TV. The odds are updated in real time, and there's props on almost anything you can imagine. Betonline.ag has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds as well. It's the best way to place your bets, and best of all, it's free to sign up. Just head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget, so important, don't forget our promo code locked on when you sign up so they know that we sent you. Betonline.ag. Opening day is upon us. It's tomorrow, but it's not too late to check out Locked On MLB Division Preview Series. It's the best way to get caught up on every team in your division, your league, or across baseball. It's all on the Locked On MLB podcast feed right now. Follow Locked On MLB on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. That was our conversation with Locked On Royals host Ryland Stiles, Herb, and uh, very informative. And I'll say this. So it went a little long, and in, for the sake of keeping things fresh and for our audience, there's a longer version of that that I think Ryland's going to post on his Lockdown Royals feed. So if you want to hear Herb uh, unload on the White Sox uh, philosophies and hear Herb's confidence level and the White Sox finishing this roster here at the deadline and beyond, uh, there's some good stuff in there. So uh, there's, a, there's like a, a bonus uh, half hour, I think, to this show that we did here today where we said, you know, we get a lot of the same questions from these guys in the Central, which is fine. They're great questions about Tony and culture and Andrew Vaughn. Like, you know, you guys have heard us answer those questions before. So, But if you want to hear something really special, it was a great question by Ryland asked us our confidence level in the Sox finishing off this roster. So uh, that does it for today. Um, coming up on tomorrow's show, Oh, man, it's opening day tomorrow, Herb, and we're going to oh, bring you, finally. finally, we made it, opening day. Uh, that's no April Fool. It really is opening day, and we're mm. going to have our prediction show, not our betting show. This is our actual predictions where you, you hold our feet to the fire all year, and we're going to have to live up to these predictions by the end of the year, or we can just scrub it from the internet, and you'll never hear anything about it. So that'll be uh, tomorrow's show, our official prediction show for opening day. And then Friday morning will be a recap of the Thursday night lid lifter in Anaheim, Lucas Giolito. It's all at stake here for Lucas this year. I'm talking, of course, not about Cy Young or World Series, but his appearance on Hot Ones with our guy Sean Evans. So it's 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 all uh, on the line here for Lucas in 2021. So we'll be here with that post game midnight, hopefully Friday morning. I hope that game doesn't end like in two hours. Then we're really in a pickle. I think it's going to drop at midnight regardless. So that's uh, how the rest of our week is looking like here, Herb. So looking forward to it, man. We're just one day away from baseball, babe. Speaking to these people on the crossover episode, they're too young. They're too damn. I was literally about to say that. It's like (laughs) like, it makes me feel very old. Firstly, Rylan is like what twenty three. We spoke to Nash Walker. He's like twenty. I know Castellani's probably in his twenties, and then Jeff Ellis. He's younger than us. I think he's in his thirties. And also speaking to these people. I hate, I mean, I hate the teams a little less now. I want them to have some success for themselves, but not versus the White Sox. I mean, Ryland's a quality guy. I wanted to hate Nash, but I couldn't because I hate the Twins. But damn it, stop being so good and so being, stop being so affable and likable, you jerks. 
Damn yeah. it, I hate them. Yeah, we're we're like the old Jake Taylors of this network. I think I hate to say it, man. Like our, you know, we, we couldn't cut it in the Mexican league, and our we have bad knees, and you know, but we got one last run in us here. So yeah, man, it was fun talking to all these guys, and uh, now we can just focus on uh, game recaps. We'll still do the mailbag on Mondays during the season as issues come up, and got other a few other surprises here uh, in the hopper that I'll tell you about uh, in the future here. So uh, that's all I got tonight. Preview show tomorrow, and. We start this thing. We get it going Friday morning at midnight, the post game. Sox Angels, love it. I cannot wait. This is going to be a great day. We've been waiting for this for a long time. So that is Chris Tannehill. Follow him on Twitter. It is at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwald23. And our show is called Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. If you want to leave us a voicemail, it is 312-566-8727. That is... Harold Baines, AJ Brzezinski, Mark Burley, Jorge Orta, go with Bo Jackson, then Carlton Fisk, and then we ended off with Tim Anderson. So call that number if you want to leave us a voicemail or just write us an email, LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. So thank you for joining us on this crossover edition of Locked On Socks.